Welcome back to another episode of Bush School Uncorked. I'm your host, Justin Bullock. Sadly, I'm without my co-host, Greg Galls, so I'm going to do my best to cover for both Greg and I, but I have a nice sort of co-host today, and Will Brown. There yeah. we go. I can serve in that function. You can be. I could not fill Greg's shoes by any life, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd give it a shot. We'll try. We'll try to still be as entertaining as when Greg is here. But I think we're going to be more entertaining because we have a huge panel with us today of practitioners that are here to remind Will and I about what we don't know about the real world. That's right, that's right. So, uh, but before we get to that, um, just as some general updates, uh, we're having this episode recorded today. Next week, we're going to go ahead and record the next episode. We uh, have scheduled to have Professors Ann Bowman and Rob Greer to come spend some time talking about local governments with us. So, if you're hearing this and it's uh, not yet, what is the date on that? October 29th? Today's the 22nd. A week from now will be the 29th. October 29th at 6 p.m. We'll be back here recording at Downtown Uncorked. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have as starting stuff. So, um, as I mentioned, we have a panel. We'll get to them and let them introduce themselves. But we have a familiar guest with us today, Professor Will Brown. Yep. Hello, uh, Will Brown, a professor at the Bush School and director of the Center for Nonprofits and Philanthropy. I've been at the Bush School for 13 years, and part of why it's uh, fun to be able to have a little panel here is our work that we're doing in the Brazos Valley and some of the Brazos Valley initiative pieces that we have going on. So I'll let the panelists introduce themselves so you know who else is here sitting here with us. Very nice. Thank you for being here. Yeah. I'm Allison Prince. I'm the president and CEO of the United Way of Brazos Valley. I have worked there for 11 years, but have served as the CEO for five, um, where we fight for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in the Brazos Valley. Primarily serve as a funder of nonprofits um, and provide a variety of other services for our community around education. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for being and agreeing to be a part of the panel. Um, I'm Teresa Megapora, and I am the executive director of the Brazos Valley Food Bank. And I am old. I've been there for 15 years. Oh, wow. It's uh, longer than you at the Bush School, Will. A little bit longer than me at the Bush School. You beat me by two years. Yeah, you're going to impress people on that. Yeah. So on the theme of a lot, I think that maybe is a good place to jump in with the panel. One of the things that we don't get on the panel often is people actually doing the work we sit around and talk about, uh, actually out there doing it. And so I want to give um, maybe the audience just a brief snapshot of kind of what is a day like in your position? I know there's no typical day. 
I know I know there's no typical day. This is what the local government uh, managers tell me as well. But just give me like a flavor of some of the things that you have to deal with in your uh, position so that both like Bush School students, some prospective students, people out in the workforce that might think about nonprofits can have an idea of like what does it look like given your position and your types of organizations. So not that I know. Okay. Right? But I do we did do some study on this and we did do a little bit of work to try and talk to people what does their day look like. So I can use that to start out. I mean one of the things that they'll all they already know is that as an executive director they do everything. They do everything in their organization from beginning to end. So one of the challenges of an executive director is because modest size organizations, every one of them, Teresa's probably got the, yours is probably the biggest of any, but how many employees do you have, Teresa? 25. 25. So that's the biggest organization in, I don't know, you two are probably 16. 16. So mm -hmm. modest size organizations trying to do a lot. As an executive director, they have a tremendous range of responsibilities from managing the operations of the organization, understanding risk, sustaining funds and raising money, um, thinking about program. Oftentimes people come into it as program experts and then all of a sudden they're put into a role of leading an organization. There's expectations that come from the number of stakeholders that agency executives have to work with. Is, would blows your mind in many ways. And so one thing that we know is that there's this sort of monster of what it means to be an executive director and part of their talent, right, is how do I figure out how to be able to use volunteers? How do I figure out how to be able to use the current staff that I have? How can I pull an intern? How can I take the professionals? So one observation is they do everything. If you look at the chart, literally look at the chart, we asked similar kinds of organizations. What do you do? I mean, it covers the gamut, and typically an executive of a, of a business isn't going to cover that kind of thing. So I, that's one observation that I have in reference to what executives, but they, they live it on a day-to-day -day basis. So. All right. Well, thanks for the framing. You can go in any order you like. Yeah, awesome. I would echo that, that mm -hmm. every day is going to look a little bit differently, and it's also going to be a little bit um, uh, seasonal based on what we're working on. You know, when it's getting ready for a board meeting, a lot of it's going to be prepping materials and prepping the, you know, the discussions for that or if it's fundraising season, which, I mean, United Way kind of has a season for fundraising during our campaign, but fundraising happens all year long. And, um, today it was recruiting board members and starting the day talking to principals about campaign to school principals about their charitable campaign coming up at their school to presenting to college students about nonprofits right before this. Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of hats. Yeah. And some, we're in a rental situation, so we don't own a building, but it used to be changing lot. Oh, right. Included, you right. Know, when you, <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess so, like yeah. Building maintenance and stuff like that. Cleaning toilets. I don't have to clean toilets anymore. I never want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't clean toilets at my own house. Just Alice. Why don't you go to the bathroom before you come to my house? Because <laughs> you're a little busy. Um, it's it's um it's a lot. I'm finding it. Um, you know we. So we had an opening. Our distribution manager is a high level position at our organization. We had someone there for a long time. All the other food banks doing, let's go for profit industry. So I hire some, I try to hire some folks, and the culture shock for that individual was, was a lot. Yeah. In fact, the first day, asked for a $10,000 piece of equipment.
equipment that would do automatic pallet wrapping so that no one had to do it manually. And I was like, <laughs> with what money? It's just not XYZ company that you came from. That is actually not. And I, I think you could use dollars better with 10000 and get a lot of food. And let's figure out. And this was just not. Then they, when the person was like, my position should be six positions, and I, I can't do all of this. And it was just very, oh, it was like disheartening, um, frustrating to some degree. So I'm off topic because that's not really what my day is like. But I, we've had some turnover, and we've had to find. What, I, what I'm finding is, is that skill set is important, but value and understanding of the mission and understanding that and what resources the people do have and do not have seems to be very, very key. Mm -hmm. um, Overlay that with some of the stuff around what we expect to pay people in nonprofit organizations, and then what we pay in this community. And then so what we pay in this players. community. I mean, it it, it it becomes pretty. It becomes quite challenging. I mean, challenging. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time in reference to what their expectations are, what 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 needs to get done, and then what the what the pay is associated with that. And that's where that individual is like, yeah, but this is six people's jobs. I can see why you would try to pick people on, on heart and passion and. And concern and interest in what's going on because you have to give so much. I teach Excel too. It's a, uh, it's tough. So, uh, well, let's hear about your day as well. Well, I walked into my office this morning, running a little late for a staff meeting. I had a Kinder Scott bag with, that was filled with wine corks for my home and a um, power drill and my briefcase. And so the power drill was to take so we own our building. So we, we have a, a little bit of a mold issue whiteboard that needs to come off and somebody can't find the screwdriver and so that's what the power drill is for and then the Kendra Scott bag full of wine corks for a wine pool for our golf tournament next week um, for display and wine pool and then walking into my staff meeting I haven't finished the staff agenda yet with the question of the day to engage our employees and have a conversation so we can just stop and get to know each other a little bit mm -hmm. Insurance. We, I'm getting calls to um, 
evaluate it from a cognitive mm -hmm. perspective, trying to, um, to make a good decision, and, and that's like high lunchtime. Yeah. So the rest of the day, I keep going, but yeah, just constantly switching gears between people and technical issues and um, HR program. We got five cases in one day on Friday of two two-year-olds, three-year-olds, a one-year-old, and I don't even know how old the other one was, um, of confirmed child abuse. Kids entering foster care system. So it's, I mean, to be an executive director, it takes such a, a wide skill set for just good at problem solving and managing your own stress. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I, I sit in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I'm hearing that it's like, a, just as maybe you would expect, right? Like a wide array of different types of tasks, fluctuating workflow, dealing with burnout employees, trying to find resources. You know, one of the, one of the tensions that I heard in there that I wanted to ask a little bit about is, you know, we were talking about an employee showing up wanting to spend $10,000 on like a tool to improve their like workflow, which is like way out of the bounds of something that you could do. And then on the other side, you have this like burnout problem from like employees having to maybe do too much with too little. And so how do, how do the, and I'm sure everyone approaches it differently and it's in different situations, but you know, not spending the $10,000, part of the argument is that money should go towards serve the actual delivery of the services, which I would, uh, it's like a good argument and I buy. And at the same time, you have this balancing of like, how do you invest in your capital infrastructure? How do you invest in your employees in terms of like the financial resources like healthcare and uh, not having uh, so few people where they get so burnt out. So like in your own head, maybe tell me a little bit about how do, how do you think about like the balance of like trying to put every dollar towards the services that you need to provide by also understanding as the executive director, the person running the organization, that some real amount of those dollars have to go towards organizational things. Like, how do you kind of think about that balance in your in your head, if you, if you do? Well, I mean, we did a capital campaign, so I know the importance of the longevity of the mission of what we do is bigger than obviously me and current staff. And we were, we needed, we needed this building, so I knew that we needed to invest in that. And what's come with that is investment in a lot of extra contract services to keep this building up that are killing me. I mean, it's killing me. But I can substantiate it to any business person that's willing to listen in their frame of mind of how they spend their dollars. Mm. I mean, I actually mm -hmm. had one person who owns a business in town say, all that money went to food, right? And I said, no, no I can't say that for a fact because that food isn't moving itself. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes when you're in your donor personal life, you forget those other things and just keep them, keep them back to that. But like we do 100% for health insurance on half since 2005. Mm -hmm. um, we ha I think our profit should because we are paying as well. Mm -hmm. so I don't think our pay is going to be able to look at a pay for similar food banks across the country similar size, similar food distribution, similar staffing, and all of that. And we, we seem to be right, right in line. It 
it doesn't seem to be meeting the expectations of people graduating, um, but it is in line with this community and what other food banks are doing, so I, I, I stick by that. But don't get me wrong, we invest in trucks, we invest in forklifts, I invest, I invest in those kinds of things, but when it came to the outfitting the offices, desks were donated mm -hmm. and chairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and but I have to. I literally have to tell people that walk in the door. This furniture is donated because they think it looks too nice. They actually think mm. it looks too nice. Right. They think the building is too nice just because it's big. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a unique community because other food banks are pretty swanky in other parts of Texas um, that don't do a whole lot more than us. Look at that same kind of pushback. So we, the pushback is real. I do with that quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. It can be about. Serve this population, there won't be anybody. You don't use your money for this. How much do you spend on fundraising? Fundraising pieces and things like that. But um, those are fair questions because transparency is important. Um, and then they can make up their mind whether they use the money or not. But yeah. we do have values about what we want to support for infrastructure. Sometimes the board and I are at odds. Yeah, yeah. They're usually right. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts, maybe. That's really helpful. Thank you.
organization's ability to fulfill its own mission. I think if you're not investing, in a, it would, it's absolutely absurd in the for-profit business to not reinvest in yourself. Like, why would, why do we hold nonprofits to this different standard? It's very, very helpful. Also, yeah. I agree. This um, mentality of scarcity, like we should operate on nothing, basically. Um, if people understood what it takes to do it, most people on my board would not work for the salary and do the amount of work that we do. Um, and so I feel like a lot of my job is doing a lot of research. So I need a new donor software. Ouch. I have to be an expert on everything. Mm -hmm. Whatever I need, I need to go do my research, find the best make the argument for it and uh, make sure that there there's a, a way I can either find a grant for it, I can negotiate a payment plan for it, um, and I have to make the argument to my board uh, about why it's needed and what I'm going to change. But what's going to change in our organization if you make this investment? And then I have to prove it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think people forget about overhead, right? And that all organizations have them. The other one that I think is, uh, that I run into, so I, I teach public management, so I'm often thinking about these types of issues, but from a government standpoint, uh, local, state, and, and federal, and they ha have, it's, it's different, but they have uh, some of the same uh, pushbacks on, like, why are you paying someone X amount of money to do, like, a job, right? And so, I actually recently was uh, texting with a friend who sent me something about a nonprofit, and the comment was, I can't believe that they, they make that much money. Like, people that work in nonprofits shouldn't make that much money. I don't remember how much it was, but it was like a CEO of like a large nonprofit. Or, uh, like, probably United Way. It might have been, right? And so, <laughs> well, and so my comment. Exactly, yeah. So, my comment was like, but they're labor markets. Right, and so if you don't understand how labor markets like work, you can't. The nonprofit or government can't attract good executive leaders if you pay them nothing. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. 
These are different things, sorry. Three people, four people in 2005 were 25 now in, the, in a new building, and there's still people who have no idea. So I am not doing a good job with the education part, <laughs> clearly. But, you know, our salaries are listed on the 990. Anybody can see it. Mm -hmm. They can compare it. They can see ours, too. That's right. They, they can see ours, too. I've actually, had, I've actually had donors write me a check and say, <laughs> That's awesome. It's very sweet. Yeah. Um, but that's the second point. The, for the skill set that they're talking about, that we have to have, and for me to run pretty much a small business in town mm -hmm. that's getting 11 million pounds of food back into this community at a cost of 300,000 to these other entities, huge impact, huge impact. Mm -hmm. like, I was just going to reflect on the idea that you know that idea of being able to attract volunteers and retain them is a whole other labor market, right? Mm -hmm. We're used to being able to think about where we can have a labor market in reference to how we compensate people, but they have to figure out how do I attract a labor force and a of labor volunteers. market of volunteers? How do I retain them? How do I attract them? Teresa gave a great example about it. it has to be a good experience for people. They have to come in and feel like they had a good time, that they contributed, that they were useful. Um, yeah, it's a lot. So, um, all of you have been in the community at least a little bit of time at these uh, executive levels. So, what do you see are like recent challenges? I mean, I, well, I know we talked about money. We were, I was asking them, uh, uh, what are the biggest challenges? Everyone was in agreement that it was resources. 
Um, so uh, resources in the resource environment maybe aside, as you've been doing your jobs, which which parts of the environment do you think are getting more challenging? Like what's what's changing that is becoming tougher for you or harder or just something you've observed that's changing about kind of the nonprofit sector either broadly or in in our community <laughs> yeah do it yeah Just continues to grow. I mean, the number is we're seeing a, you know it's one of the fastest growing sectors as far as number of, 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 of entities. Yeah, hundreds new each year being formed and established and set up. I wish it was a little more difficult to start a nonprofit. There are some, I think, four nonprofits that are doing what we nobody else can do. Space is similar to your own. Yeah. Even though nobody can do what we do because we're in court appointed by the judges, no other program does that. But um, it gets confusing to the public or the donors who you know want to help and they have connections. A lot of us work also. The whole other component of this work is our ability to build relationships with people. Um, and so we have to do that constantly and maintain those relationships. ourselves to the standards to try to do the best, but I would also say that just 
people who want to start nonprofits to do their homework and find out what else is out there. Because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, there's nobody who's doing this. And then they get down that path and they're like, oh, there's other people that are doing this. And and the really beautiful thing about nonprofits is that we love to work together. We, we rely on working together. So we are incredibly open with our resources and incredibly sharing with our resources. And if there's something that, I mean, either of these women next to me, if they needed something that I could help them with, I would send whatever document, whatever support that we could, because ultimately we all do better when we all do better. And, um, and so we are in competition for donor dollars, but at the same time we also see the critical need of our services and that all of us need to be here. So it's this, like, it's not a competitive, it doesn't, we don't really have a competitive space operationally that we, we don't, um, you know, we would be willing to share, but it's, when we don't even have the opportunity because people don't approach us to say, hey, I'm thinking about this thing because I think we're really good at saying what our boundaries and what our limits are of, of our current capacity. And if we can't do it, then fine, do that part of it. But um, don't just go and reinvent the entire wheel just because you see an area yeah. or you think it's a cool thing that you're passionate about. Great, get involved where you think you're passionate. You're scooting up to the microphone. No, it, 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 it's actually a huge pet peeve of mine that we don't collaborate anymore. Um, yeah. um, you can't make people do it. You can't make people have the same motivation for why they start what they start. Um, I think a lot of people want to put a flag in the sand and say, I did this, unfortunately. Um, it's a trendy thing. It's very trendy. It's very. all made the case that the, the proof is in the sustainment. People rely on those services. You can't be fly by night. I mean, there are people that have been were key funders of the food bank that are now doing So I don't get money from them anymore. They have, they and their their little their influence has moved on to those things that they do. And we're talking about people who've lived here for a long time and if I said names, most people would know who they are. So it's not even just it's not even just Excuse me, the millennials coming out of school like I can do anything, and I'm going to. It's everybody. It's all across the board. And, and to some degree, I'm going to say this: it's it's this idea that anybody can be an executive director because right. it's not professional. You're not mm -hmm. doing anything the way that we're the way that we would do it in the for profit. Where I actually spent a lot of money and new money to get the specific degrees I got so I could do what I'm doing. So it's insulting to me. It's insulting to a lot of our staff. Is that I mean, someone thinks that $2.6 million food bank, I'm a volunteer. They're out of touch with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just understand the environment that you're working yeah. in. So, um, going a little bit different direction, but something that would be interesting to me is, you know, we've talked a little bit about cooperation and competition, and we've talked about some of the ways in which um, uh, uh, some things are similar to the private sector. Some things aren't similar to the private sector. So one thing that the private sector has is like a profit as a measure of their success. Um, and you each do it a little bit different things. So I was wondering how you think about how your organization thinks about like as you're managing by goals or managing by objectives, like what are your metrics or like what are your outcomes that you are trying to kind of keep in mind that you're trying to maximize or make the best use of resources? What are your what things are your different organizations working towards from like a, a measurement standpoint? Well, I would go to, not anything super 
we all are kind of in a double bottom line industry that we have we have to look at our revenue versus expenses that mm-hmm. as a measurement and that's probably the closest comparison to forecast but we're also looking at our our mission as the other bottom line thing is is how do we sustain our or not even sustain our mission is how do we achieve our mission mm-hmm. how do we, mm-hmm. um, working to put ourselves out of business essentially I mean we while while hunger while community issues around education financial stability and health while <laughs> this is yeah, not yeah. good. This is not good. I was like, I'm not looking at that. I want you to look at this. It's a constant battle. Mm-hmm. That is definitely what she looks at. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but yes, we lost some money. But guess what happened? And it is mission. It's mission oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and she's feeling better, but she's still really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting cultural one where it's like you know it's still getting the goods out there even if at a loss, whereas doing it. Doing anything where the marginal cost is greater than the marginal revenue and like the private sector is just something you just you know you don't do yeah, in general. Like yeah. That's a something 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 hit. That's my problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Giving food away. Yeah, actually actually like at church on Sunday our pastor tackled this. I don't know how to measure those things, (laughs) but I agree that they're important. Yeah, I would say uh, I have a piece of paper on my desk right now that says, in God we trust, otherwise bring me data. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And the nationwide average, and and then that we're monitoring. 
monitoring whether kids come back in the care. So we're going back 10 years ago and seeing and measuring. I mean, we have a, a it's called the New Case Data Spreadsheet, and it, it measures like 50 different things. And we have a new database for our uh, <laughs> our uh, cases um, that we use. And uh, I'm looking at telling the story of, well, you invest in this database, I'm going to show you. We train our change our training. We uh, have a different screening process. We make things online. We get a new website. Um, that I'm going to tell you that we're going to increase our amount of volunteers. I'm going to diversify their age um, spread. Basically, um, we're going, we're looking at the um, race and ethnicity and disproportionality of the um, population that we serve and our staff and our volunteers. Um, I could swim in data all day long, mm -hmm. um, and figuring out how to measure well-being. What does it mean to not go to school hungry? Mm -hmm. How can you measure that? I love figuring that out. Mm -hmm. How does that How does that correlate? Um, um, so I would say we measure to our board, telling the story uh, of what we do and where the gaps are to our board is very much based on data. Like it doesn't. Well, you can manipulate data, but I mean, the data that we use doesn't lie. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that we increased our volunteers by 80% last year. Um, that's because we invested in recruitment. We call advertising recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> and that is excellent marketing. You call it harvesting money. Points, yep.
Uh, so disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we can run the data. That's great. And they told their story. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really interesting. Yeah. So we're coming up towards the end. Um, we've been going for 45 minutes, but. I know we did just start, right? <laughs> the conversations are so great at Bush School and Cork that you don't even realize the time flies yeah. by. So there are four of you, in, uh, including uh, Will here, that have like decided in some part to dedicate your lives to nonprofits as opposed to any other types of things you could have done. So my question is, why? What's your pitch? Why bother? Working in a nonprofit, we've talked about how hard it is, how you're fighting for resources, how it's a struggle, how you have to have all these skills that you have that are now marketable that you could do other things with. So there's some reason why you decided nonprofit. And so as we close out, I want to know why why go into nonprofits? Why did you choose to do that? We all choose that. <laughs> or, or why do you remain? It can be either. You know, maybe you accidentally ended up, but you're choosing to stay for some reason. Well, I came back to grad school to work in nonprofits, and and um, I I don't know why where it was. I was 23, maybe 23, 24 years old, and um, I, I, I why I chose to come back was that I was working for a for profit selling something. And, and selling so, 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 actually, a selling closet, custom design closet. Talk about a, a shift from that to nonprofit, but that was really what it was. It was Katrina, Rita hit. And, uh -huh. and I'm driving around the DFW Metroplex trying to sell people a custom design closet that's beautiful enough to have a chandelier in it, which don't get me wrong, I'm not judging anybody on this. Sure, yeah. I someday hope to have a chandelier in the closet. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I just had this, like, Wow, people are literally sitting on their rooftops, not sure whether or not they're going to make it to even see tomorrow. So what am I doing with my life? And I kind of had this idea of like, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a mom someday. I wasn't. I wasn't even married at the time. But I was like, you know what, if I'm going to work 
full time because a lot of moms have to work. If I'm going to work full time, it's going to take me away from being at home with kids and, and being in, in you know, raising children at home or whatever. It better damn well be more than just a salary. It, it's got to have more meaning to that and somewhere in particular today. That's great. I like that one. But I do question the life dedication. I missed the ceremony when that happened. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, in some part, when you've been doing it some amount of time, it becomes a large part of what you dedicated your time to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is how I feel coming up on six years, six years at A&M. Like, at some point, it becomes part of, like, who you are and your identity and what you dedicated Actually, Ward asked me that today. She asked me, like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I can't really see myself doing anything else. Like, I'm not going to go take a job selling stuff again. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're done with that. You tried that one. Yeah. That's very good. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, yeah. Um, well, not to get all personal, but there's some personal stories with how I grew up that have impacted my values and and what I care about. Um, but I'm very passionate about justice. So I've actually done some of the kind of work that AJ's done. I, I ran a sexual assault child advocacy center in Georgia. Um, and I was a, that was my first executive director job. And then my husband got, um, I got a position here at a and and we moved here. And the food bank became open and I was like, well, I can push food around. But it's very different. We're so, I'm so far away from the actual person that we're impacting. Um, yeah. And um, so what I'm saying is nonprofit is all I'm going to ever do. I don't know anything. Other. My family is from Flint, Michigan. All they did was work for General Motors in factories. That's what you do. I'm like the first to graduate from college. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm from a different whatever. And that's what's important to me. Um, the, the, I don't know, the passion for justice you can get in a nonprofit, even if you're pushing paper, doing reports, you have to still do the same thing, but it's not for the chandelier in the closet, I'm yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's for a child that needs food on the weekend so they can learn on Monday, and it's really satisfying to be able to say that. Um, I use it probably too much if my husband was listening to say, not be at home to make an excuse to work too much, mm-hmm. um, but it's it can be addicting. It really can be addicting to know that you can make an impact as one person. And it's kind of saving and leaving that. No, oh, that's very helpful. I, I don't know what I'll do next. You're a nonprofit addict. When yeah, yeah when he when husband retires <laughs> like and we that. can go, well, I'll I will do wherever he can go play his banjo somewhere, and I'm gonna do something else in the nonprofit. Probably not fundraising. Is there that existing nonprofit to not fundraise? Yes. That folk music, the folk music banjo group. But that's what they really need. That's awesome. How do you follow that? Mm-hmm. But it's almost like being a social engineer because you compound the 
in my mm-hmm. head, disconnected world, reconnect and give back with nothing in return other than that you're helping another human being. That's a pretty big problem. And I love the challenge of being resourceful and figuring out realistic ways to solve problems and doing right by other people, especially those that are not represented in um, the legal system, um, uh, in society. I just care a lot about other people and I want to be right by them. And so you can do that in a for-profit world. Um, a nonprofit using volunteers to do that, people who are giving their own time to do that, gives me the flexibility to work with volunteers um, when I'm not working for government or within the constraints of a for-profit organization that's dependent on making a profit. I like the flexibility of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have laws and policies and bylaws and all that within the organization, but we're flexible enough because we're, we're in this human sector of, mm-hmm. uh, of trying to solve a problem with little resources. So I like the ability to be creative with that. Child abuse will always occur. Mm-hmm. Not going away, but there are things in place that we can figure out through research um, and utilizing the community and informing the community about what it what it looks like and how to prevent it and, and um, all of that, that we can gradually make an impact in our community locally and then even globally if we want to. I mm-hmm. have that freedom. Like, I feel like yeah. I have a lot of power. Very good. Very good. Thank you. How did I end up here? Yeah, why, 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 why nonprofit? I mean, how, who would You could have been a public management scholar and instead you're doing nonprofit. <laughs> it could be yeah, bi- business, business administration, right? Yeah, 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 right? Indeed. I was. I'm <laughs> we're at the end. We're at the end. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to work with the, an amazing group of people like this? No, no, no I mean, then, I mean that's sort of, I mean, really, when you listen, all of what you just said, right, captures part of why I work in this space. I'm fascinated by the complexity of the organization. I want to feel like there's something different that you give and you contribute and that you're making a difference and you're having an impact on people's lives and that it's a positive impact. It's all of that, right? And, and they're fascinating people to work with I feel like it becomes a part of a community and I hope that you know part of what we do at the school is helping people think we have hundreds of students that want to be a part of what's going on in the field and to be a little bit a part of helping them think about the way that they prepare themselves to be effective and talented leaders if they could be any any shadow of what these three folks are doing I would feel very honored to be a part of contributing to their professional development. Well, I'm not going to try to follow that. <laughs> so, um, thank you. Thank you so much to the panel. Uh, they were not given a lot of prep time. Some, I think no prep time, essentially, was what they had today. So, uh, what, is, what is prep time? It's the way we do it. Um, yeah, just kind of on the fly. Keeps things, keeps things real. Right? Oh, okay, thanks. All right. So, we will be recording again next week uh, on October 29th at 6 p.m. at uh, downtown Uncorked in historic downtown Bryan. 
We'll have two academic guests. Uh, Greg will be back. Will has been a wonderful uh, co-host. You're quiet. You let me do all the talking. That's the exact kind of co-host I want. And um, thanks to Downtown Uncorked for hosting us tonight. Thanks for the audience who was able to join us out here on this wonderful Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday evening. Ah, man, it is only Tuesday. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Hope you join us again next time. Thank you.